Before the episode begins, I'd like to tell you about the Science for Care podcast. Science for Care is an audio series produced by HealthTech for Care, an endowment fund committed to support and promote access to care for all patients. Each episode takes a concise look at some of the major advances in medicine, mRNA vaccines, antibiotics, gene therapy, the metaverse, and many more. The production is meticulous, the narration captivating, and the guests are true leaders in their respective fields. If you listen to Impulse, then you'll be for sure interested, so don't wait any longer and go listen to the first two seasons of Science for Care. Those patients are extremely sick, they are ventilated, they need um, organ replacement therapy. And beyond that, there is no approved treatment. So basically you keep them alive and you hope that they get better. What we want to do is basically establishing a new treatment modality between medical device and drugs. We have to make sure that everything is right from the first try, basically. Welcome to Impulse, the podcast where you will meet the person shaping the current medical advancements and pushing the boundaries of what is currently achievable in healthcare. Be they researchers, doctors, engineers or entrepreneurs, we will explore through in-depth conversations their field of expertise, as well as the journey that took them where they are now. Good morning, Lucas. First of all, thank you so much for having me in your offices here in Schlieren and um, accepting the invitation to take part in the podcast. Um, so it's the first episode of the series that we are recording face-to-face. -face. Um, I really look forward to it because I think it brings a lot to the content and to the tone of the conversation. Um, I got to know Hemotune, which is the company you founded um, during an event that was hosted on the campus of Roche Diagnostics in Rotkreuz back in November 2021. Um, which I attended as part of my job. Um, you gave a presentation there about your activities and the technology you are developing, which um, enables the filtration of blood using magnetic microscopic beads. And I remember being very impressed by what you showcased at that time. Um, I don't want to, to spoil our listeners too much by disclosing more info about the scope of the technology and what it can achieve, uh, as I'm sure you will tell us more about it in, date in detail later on. Um, but so before we take a deep dive into what Emotion is trying to achieve, would you like to present yourself? Yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, my name is Lukas Langenecker. I am by training a chemical engineer, but I also have a background in, in banking. I started my career in banking first. Um, in 2015, I joined a research group at ETH Zurich as part of a PhD which had developed magnetic beads. And uh, from then on, I was following basically the vision of using these beads in magnetic blood purification. And since then, we have built up Hemotune. We are now 20 people, um, a young medtech company, very interdisciplinary. And our main goal at the moment is to fight sepsis, one of the biggest healthcare problems worldwide, even before the pandemic and now with COVID, it came even more to the mind of everybody. And so you, you mentioned that from, from, from your background that you started your, um, your studies and you did an apprenticeship in banking. Um, what made you go towards chemical engineering afterwards? 
So basically, I was always very interested both in science, but also in business. And after high school, I actually didn't really know what I would, would like to study. And um, in Switzerland, there's this great opportunity that the banks offer quite nice apprenticeships mm -hmm. that are also paid. Yeah. And uh, for me, it was the, a perfect opportunity to learn more about business and having a bit more time to think about what I want to do. And in that time, I also, you know, looked at at actually problems that are important to be solved yeah. in, in, uh, on a global scale. And chemical engineering offers a toolbox to fight and to solve various different problems going from energy, transportation, um, biological stuff, health, mm -hmm. uh, food. Yeah. Basically, everything is somewhat uh, related to chemical engineering. And this is what fascinated me. And also chemical engineering offers more you know, a practical approach. Yeah. It's really solution oriented, product oriented and not basic science, but it's all about solving real problems and bringing those to a very large scale. And this is what, what fascinates me. And yeah, that's why I started uh, studying chemical engineering. So you already knew you wanted to study chemical engineering down the line when you started the apprenticeship no, in banking? No. Uh, while I was doing the apprenticeship, I took some time to just like, think about what I wanted to do. Um, and, and during this time, I then looked at different potential subjects. I knew that I would like to go to ETH to yeah. study something, you know, basic science. I, I mean, first I thought, should I do, you know, business because I like business, but then I yeah. thought, you know, business, you can always do later. There are so many programs, MBAs yeah. on the job, you know, further educations, but really the basic science classes, uh, you learn them at university and you, it's, it's very difficult exactly. to learn about them after your primary education. Yeah, you cannot really do it the other way, like studying first business no. and then starting no. like a degree. I mean, it's very, it's mm. very tough. Mm -hmm. All right. And so then you went through the whole, um, let's say, engineering um, curriculum. So you did bachelor's, master's here in Zurich, and you also started a PhD right in 2015. Yes. Um, which I believe you stopped somehow to found uh, the company you're leading now. Can you take us through that transition and explain us um, your decision to move towards entrepreneurship because it's very different from doing a PhD? Um, I would like to understand a bit um, what, what happened there. Yes. So basically... I did my master's thesis in the US at MIT, and this is a super vibrant yeah. ecosystem for startups. So there I got to know a lot of founders and I was very impressed by their, you know, their energy and their, their joy building up their own companies. Yeah. So when I returned to Zurich, I tried to find something applied. I, I knew that also during a PhD, I didn't want to do basic science. Yeah. I wanted to do something applied. I wanted to do something. Uh, where I could potentially yeah, build a company afterwards. And I knew this, this research group and this Magnetic Beats uh, yeah. project from a lecture before. And then more or less by, by chance, I was sitting at a, at a faculty fondue yeah. just next <laughs> to this professor from this group, Professor Stark. Okay. And we discussed during the fondue and he said, Hey, why don't you come over and have a look at the lab? And, uh, yeah, we started to talking. And then I, I joined the group and I joined the group really with the goal to bring this technology further, look at what it's needed to, 
to bring it to a human application and to really use it um, in a medical setting. And during that time, we quite quickly realized that it's very difficult to do it in an academic setting. So it's it involves a lot of money. It, it involves a lot of quality requirements. Um, and this is just not, you know, the, the, the university is just not the best place for that or a, a PhD program or a, a research group. So um, when I was then looking for funding, the, basically the investors told me that I have to focus, right? I yeah. either have to focus on the, the company, on the project or on my PhD studies. And at that time, I decided to fully focus on building up this startup. Yeah. Um, and basically, you know, quit the PhD, but continue basically the, the project. And it was, I think, a, a, a good decision. Um, and I also learned a lot during building up a, a, a startup company while I still can follow also my passion about science. I'm not doing, you know, really the groundwork anymore, yeah. mm -hmm. but I'm still involved like in the bigger picture. And so you are, are you the only founder or there are other people involved? No, we founded uh, the company together also with two professors from that group. Okay. With uh, Carlos. Carlos. Uh, mm -hmm. And also with Corinne at the beginning. Okay. So we were all from this research group. We had very different skill sets. So I'm a chemical engineer and have some finance background. <laughs> background. Carlos is a microbiologist. Okay. And immunologist. And Corin is a chemist. And yeah, it was very good at the beginning to have all these different skill sets, technical and scientific skills sets to, for the early beginning. Um, after about a year or a year and a half, Corin decided to leave the company mm -hmm. and started another career. Um, and from then on, we built up the company. But I think at the beginning, it was very, It was very important also to have us all together yeah. to bring in this, yeah, this interdisciplinary approach because it's a very complex product and a complex development. And maybe it's like a let's say a simple question, but is it is it difficult when when you are in the academic setting to transition through um, to entrepreneurship, or do you get a lot of support from the local ecosystem here in Zurich? Is it something you? felt was i mean i assume it's I think, difficult but i think um you really have to want it yeah but there is a lot of support i mean you have to seek support but there are different programs that you can participate on a local level um, from the university but also you know by inno swiss for example the swiss innovation agency that offers coaching yeah. mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of events to to get contacts in this ecosystem And I think this is the key thing to start building up a network, learning from other people, um, how they did it and then start building it. All right. So may maybe we can move on to the, what Emotion is trying to, to achieve. Can you explain us what is the, the unmet medical need that, that your company is trying to, to solve? Yes. So maybe, um, let's have a look from two angles. Once like the technology and then really our first indication which is sepsis so in the technology what we do is actually removing in an extremely precise and efficient way stuff from blood and by doing so 
we interact basically with pathways and um, we try to solve issues in the body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's really extremely precise and efficient blood purification. On the indication level, our first indication is sepsis. Sepsis is a misguided immune response to any infection that leads to a life-threatening state that has to be treated on the ICU. Those patients are extremely sick. They are ventilated. They need um, organ replacement therapy. And currently the mortality rates are uh, 40, 40, 50% for septic shock. So even in Switzerland and in the yeah. US, in the best healthcare systems, almost half of these patients die. And um, yeah, this is the unmet need that we are solving with uh, with our first first product, so to say. And so this immune dysregulation, is there um, a clear explanation as to why the body gets into that state after an infection? Is that... Um, no, I mean, that's the... That's the mystery of our of our health and our bodies. I mean, we actually understand very little about the body and about diseases. Um, in sepsis, we understand that after an infection, the body reacts with a hyperinflammation, so an activated immune yeah. system, an inflammation. And in some cases, this inflammation is extremely strong and and even leads to death of patients. And in the past, this was the main focus area. People thought that this hyperinflammation, this overreacting immune response, is responsible for the bad outcomes in sepsis. So in the past, um, there were a lot of drugs that were developed to just dampen this. What we saw in the last years is that actually in-hospital mortality wasn't affected that much. We couldn't lower it that much. But what we did is basically... I mean, one of our um, doctors puts it in that way, we prolonged death. So yeah. currently we are quite good at keeping patients alive. Yeah. Also with sepsis, be sepsis, because we can control um, this hyperinflammation, we can um, replace the organ functions. But what we can't do really is to, to help them recover. We just have to wait and hope that they recover by themselves. We just do organs or life support. There's no curative treatments. Um, the next phase, which is important, or what we saw that is important, is immunosuppression. After this hyperinflammation, this activated immune system, there is first a counterbalancing immunosuppression. Okay. So um, the immune system is dampened, and in a normal course of like getting better, the immune system would then normalize, and there will be a healthy equilibrium, homeostasis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In sepsis, more than half of the patients don't recover from this immunosuppression. So they stay in a, in a state of a non-functioning immune system. And patients with this immunosuppression, they typically stay on the intensive care unit much longer. They are prone to secondary infections and, and just like worse outcomes compared to the patients uh, where the immune system recovers. And our goal really is to identify those patients so we have a biomarker we can measure the immune response yeah and then by the removal of three key mediators we want to re-establish this immune homeostasis and basically empower the patients to get better so it's really a shift of focus we focus on on let's 
yeah, let's say, the later phase of sepsis, where immunosuppression is predominant. Okay. In terms of um, time after, let's say, the... Um, that mesentic shock is... Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, typically, typically, we would treat patients after two, two days on the ICU. Okay. So it's really... Um, they get septic shock, they are treated on the ICU, there's happening a lot at the beginning. Yeah. And then after, let's say, one, two days, they stabilize and they usually stabilize with, with this immunosuppression state. Yeah. And this would be the time when we come in with our therapy. Okay. And you said that there were no currently creative treatments. So what is being administered to the patients? I mean, what you do currently is, first of all, Sepsis is um, an infectious disease. So there's an infection. So you try to eradicate this infection mm -hmm. by antibiotics or by surgeries if there's like a an infection focus somewhere. Yeah. And this is also not something that we would replace. There still needs to be infection control. Yeah. Okay. Um, the second thing you do is you try to keep those patients alive because... Um, in sepsis, in septic shock, the circulation mm. breaks down, the, um, the organs start failing, the kidney don't work, the lungs don't work anymore. And this is what you do. You keep blood pressure up um, and you put the patients on dialysis and on ventilation. And beyond okay. that, there is no approved treatment. So basically you keep them alive and you hope that they get better. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so can, can you take us through the, the elements of the hemosystem and how it works? So you, you told us that the end goal is to reestablish that immune balance that some of the patients fail to regenerate from um, once, when, when they are still in the ICU. Can you explain us how the, the device that you, you've put together for a function? Yeah. So basically we have, it's a system of consisting of three devices, basically. It's um, the, the machine which is like a dialysis machine, mm -hmm. a bedside machine um, that contains pumps, basically pumps and a user interface. And the machine is making sure that we contact our beads with the blood in a safe way and uh, we can remove them. This machine, I mean, it also contains a magnetic filter where the, the beads are removed then, but it's, it's relatively simple. Um, then the other thing that we have is the hemodisposable. It's a kit of plastic tubing and plastic parts. Yeah, like which a channels, set. Yes, mm -hmm. which channels the blood. Mm -hmm. So it's it's single use um, and all blood contacting parts are basically in this, in this kit. And the kit is inserted to the machine for each treatment. And the last thing are our... Um, is the hemosorbent, the mixture of the magnetic beads that um, bind to specific targets. And this is also the part which is uh, different for each treatment. I told you, I mean, it's a platform technology. So we are basically with this technology able to, to remove various different compounds. Um, now for sepsis, we have identified um, a group so uh, three distinct compounds that we want to remove to restore this immune balance. And um, yeah, this first mixture contains this, these beads. 
Okay, and they are tailored for each patient. So at the moment, we have one mixture and we basically select the patients that fit to the mixture. So that's why we do the diagnostic tests. Um, and there will be about, let's say, 50% of patients will be eligible for the treatment, roughly. Um, but of course, in the future, the idea is also to have more beads, different beads, maybe a, a whole library. And if you think like really far ahead, what we would like to do is to have a device that is measuring continuously the, the, the blood constituents yeah. and um, a device that has, you know, a library of different beats and can add the right beats at the right time. So really an, ad an adaptive treatment that follows the timeline of, of the septic shock patient and can at the, at the beginning remove the excess inflammation and then in later stages also restore immune balance. So really an extracorporeal um, yeah, immune system almost. And out of curiosity, so the patients that are currently eligible, um, which is the, the, um, the biomarker that you look at? Is it We look at uh, HLA-DR, which is a, a type of immune cell. Okay. And we measure the expression of the surface um, molecules on that HLA-DR. All right. And when you use the device or when it will be used, do you um, filter the whole patient's blood once or you filter it continuously? Um, on the Yeah. So our treatment duration is about two hours. Okay. We have a blood flow rate of 100 milliliters per minute. Mm -hmm. So we treat about 12 liters. Yeah. And uh, typically a human has five liters of blood. So we, we roughly purify the blood twice okay. in one treatment. All right. And it's intended to be I mean, done once, right? No, basically our intention is to, to restart basically the immune system. And to restart, we need to, um, to apply the therapy a few times. So we plan to use the therapy up to five days. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, once a day. Okay. All right. While the patient is in the ICU, in the intensive care unit. Okay. And focusing maybe now on the on the nanoparticles you are using to filter the blood, can you can you explain us how what's their composition and how they are built or engineered? Yes. So basically, um, they have three functional layers. They have a magnetic core. Um, this is where where we come from, where a lot of research was done, also at ETH here in Zurich, and um, we were able to produce magnetic beads that are much more magnetic than our competitor. Uh, magnetic beads and this allows us to to retrieve them very efficiently also from the flowing blood we then coat them with a polymer coating that basically repels everything um, it's very important for us that we know what we remove and what we leave in yeah. blood is full of very important nice yeah, compounds, compounds. Mm -hmm. but there's a few bad guys right and uh, this coating allows us to basically repel everything and then we attach binding sites can be antibodies can be peptides can be basically everything that allows you to bind to something specifically so that you really only bind to what you want and not to something else okay. and 
yeah, this is also the you know the platform character by changing the binding agent, we can target different compounds. And um, how come these magnetic beads that you engineered do not damage um, the red blood cells during the filtration pro uh, process? There isn't there like any sort of mechanical stress that is put on the blood cells, or it's too tiny and it doesn't? Yeah. So basically. The beads are very small. They are much smaller than a red blood cell. Um, yeah, a couple of hundred times smaller. And therefore they are very, you know, let's say, uh, yeah, they, they don't induce stress or they can't harm the blood cells while they're flowing with them. Yeah. They are very delicate, so to say. Um, and also our system doesn't need, you know, very narrow channels or pressing the blood through an adsorber with a high pressure. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, our beads, they offer a huge surface area while they just flow with the blood because they are so yeah. small, they are dispersed in the blood in a, in a, in a very good way. So we have a very um, good mixing of beads and blood. Yeah. And therefore, we don't need pressure drops or we don't need to exert force or so on the blood and this is what makes it actually very blood compatible and um what's the amount like in terms of volume or that of beats that you need for one cycle of filtration i mean um we introduce them in a you know in a in a solution so to say and the solution is it's i mean it's like a syringe full Of oh, okay. these beads, which is uh, which are applied over over these two hours. Okay, all right. So it's a, a yeah a relatively small, small amount. amount. Yeah, and so there is no is there like a particular toxicity if it gets back to the play if it remains in the patient's blood or no? I mean this is this is of course the key question that we are always asked also by regulators. What happens yeah. if mm -hmm. some of these beads ends up? Yeah, kind of much. end up in the in the patient's body and i mean first of all we have designed everything in a way that that it's intrinsically safe yeah uh, basically that the magnet is always on that you know we we have a lot of surveillance yeah. to make sure that everything is is working fine uh, this is also why we developed an own device to make sure that we can implement all the safety measures yeah. um, that are needed for this technology and the other part is of course assessing the safety of the beads themselves. So um, we looked at what happens if they are exposed to the body. Yeah. And uh, we did also long-term chronic toxicity studies, which are quite similar to, to like implants, to look at them as if they were implants and yeah. intended to go into the body and, and look at all the places where they end up, to look at um, inflammation if they induce any inflammation or if they are inducing tumor growth or stuff like that. Yeah. And so far we didn't see any any, any toxic toxicity. effects or any yeah, any adverse effects of the magnetic beads. But of course, um, this is the main the main safety concern to make sure that we that we remove remove the beads. Yeah. And in the case that a few beads enter the body, that they are not toxic. And um, so at which stage of its development is this technology currently? Do you, um, would you be able to tell us today by when it could be available to patients or on a large scale? Or Yeah, I mean, 
first of all, medical technology has a very yeah, long, long life cycle. cycle. Yeah, mm -hmm. very long product development cycle because, I mean, it's also fair. We want to have it safe. Yeah, um, of course. We want to test mm -hmm. everything before. And those patients are very vulnerable. I mean, they are sedated. They are on the intensive care unit. So you don't want, at any case, you don't want to expose them to any additional harm. Um, that's why it takes so long. We have developed our prototype, um, upscaled the technology. Um, we also done a lot of tests about the usability in the hospitals, did a lot of, you know, um, safety assessments so far. And now we are in the phase really of, of testing also, uh, really everything. We have to create a lot of documentation, like thousands of patient, uh, pages of, yeah, of test imagine. cases. Um, that's one big part. So the verification, does the device do exactly what it's intended to you to do? And does it do it all the time? And is it safe? I mean, it's also an active medical device. It, it has, there's power. So you need to make sure that it's, it's really safe. Um, that's one part. The other big part that we are currently working on is really the manufacturing, the manufacturing of the magnetic beads, um, which needs to be like in a medical, you know, medical, medical grade, grade yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is quite complex and this also needs a lot of process validation and, and quality control along yeah. the, 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 the manufacturing process. Um, then in the medical device, if you have all set out, so the manufacturing process and the, you know, just like how the device is set up, you can start doing your preclinicals. You have to do the preclinicals really with the final design. So with the frozen design and afterwards you can't Modified change it anymore. <laughs> yes. So this is what we have to do. We have to do some confirmatory also biocompatibility tests before we start a clinical study. And these biocompatibility tests, they are also long-term because we want to assess also long-term risks. Yeah. So the goal is to be ready for clinical trials end of uh, next year. Yeah. We plan a clinical study across Europe in seven to 10 centers, okay. um, which will be the, the approval study. So after this study, we could get market approval in Europe. Okay. And, and that will be, you know, I mean, the study will take a, a, around a year, a year yeah. <laughs> um, to recruit the patients. And then of course, there will be also a review process by the authorities. Yeah. And this is, this is something you can't really predict how fast. Uh, they will review this. Okay. And but it's still some, you, you know, I mean, if you, if uh, we walk through the office, you will see the device, which is, I mean, red, I mean, ready, ready you know, yeah. it, <laughs> it could be deployed, but still, um, there's a lot of hidden things that you have to do and you have to make sure that you comply with everything that takes time. Is that a frustration sometimes when you see that the device is like finalized and you, you see like the roadmap and everything you need to yeah, I mean, this is part of the game, of course. Sometimes, mm -hmm. I mean, if I compare our development with some other startups that are in, I don't know, Digital, IT yeah. or, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, where you can just like iterate and do a lot of A-B testing and get market feedback, it's just completely different. We mm -hmm. have to make sure that everything is right from the first try, basically. Um, and of course... This is sometimes a bit annoying that it takes so long, but it, it also makes sense. It makes sense that it needs to be safe and that 
yeah, that, that it needs to be very thoroughly assessed and designed. And so we, we, we talked about the, the first indication that you plan to focus on, which is um, sepsis. Do you see other conditions for which the hemosystem could be of great support? Um, thinking about maybe for other autoimmune diseases, cancer, maybe? Yes, I mean, as I said, we can remove extremely precisely components from blood. And as blood is basically the universal highway in our body, everything goes through blood, almost yeah. everything goes through blood. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to, to use this technology in these areas. I mean, you mentioned um, um, autoimmune diseases, which is a yeah. big field, uh, transplantation medicine, which is also with immunity, you know, attacking the, the donated organ, uh, cancer, where we, where we have, um, also, you know, uh, circulating tumor cells that, yeah. that are distributed through the bloodstream. We don't understand this to the last detail, but it seems also promising to remove potentially these circulating tumor cells. Or another field where we're uh, asked a lot about is longevity. Longevity is, everybody's talking about longevity, prolonging the, the healthy lifespan. Yeah. And there's a lot of research being done now um, showing that blood purification can improve and prolong the lifespan of, of animals a lot. So maybe in the future we can also have a, a very specific blood purification uh, in a longevity application. So there's a, a lot of different wow. um, yeah. uh, areas where we can dive into once we have shown that the technology in it's principle safe. is safe and uh, efficacious in the, in the first patients. Well, that's, I mean, that's crazy because then it means that you are able to use it outside of, let's say, the, the ICU or yes. other settings, right? I mean, right? basically what we want to do, you know, now we have drugs. Drugs act in the body, um, but also once they're in, they're in. Yeah. We also have medical devices and medical devices, they are typically, you know, just like solving, a, uh, you know, a physical problem, like holding bone together, something like that. Yeah. What we want to do is basically establishing a new treatment modality between medical device and drugs, namely interacting in a physical manner yeah. with um, mediators, messenger molecules outside of the body and thereby affecting how the body uh, reacts and basically steering the immune system. And this is something that could be applied in various different fields. Okay. That, that's a huge potential, I'm sure of it. Um, I, I was thinking, so sepsis is a recognized um, global medical burden, and I think it's also the case for antimicrobial resistance. Um, in a sense, does your technology enable to address that burden in some way as well? Yeah, I mean, this is, goes in the direction that we tackled before sepsis is always an infectious disease yeah you know and and very often it's bacterial can also be viral or fungal but it's often bacterial yeah this antimicrobial resistance is basically um when uh, when you can't kill a bacteria with your with your antibiotics mm -hmm. right yeah. and this then leads to to more severe um inflammation infection and eventually to sepsis we will not get rid of antibiotics with our technology, but what we can offer is an additional tool to help to stabilize those patients once they 
are undergoing sepsis. So I think it's a very important tool to fight antimicrobial resistant yeah. resistance just because antimicrobial resistance will lead to higher caseload in sepsis. Yeah. And therefore we also, I mean, first of all, we also, we, of course, we need new antibiotics, but we also need better treatment options once, um, yeah, sepsis occurs. Mm. So it's connected, but we don't replace, we don't replace it. Okay. And it's not a direct, you know, it's not a direct tool, but an indirect tool to fight antimicrobial resistance. Okay. Um, so I think we did a, um, a nice story. You, you talked us through your, your background, starting from, from banking, then going into mechanical engineering, uh, chemical engineering, sorry. And, um, and you explained us, uh, in, in quite details, um, how the technology that you, that you've created function, um, um, at the end of each episode of the podcast, um, I have three recurring questions that I ask um, every guest. Um, so the first one is, could you share with us an anecdote from your work which made you realize the impact that you're having on patients' health and which really stuck in your mind? So for that, I would like to, you know, it started very early. When I started my PhD after one month, I decided to just go out to hospitals and talk to doctors to understand what they would like to have. And I visited, I don't know, maybe 10 hospitals here in Switzerland and just asked um, what the problems are. And I visited visited a lot of ICUs. And on these ICUs, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people currently suffering from, from sepsis with, with very little treatment options. Mm -hmm. And um, then I realized that that there is a really a big, big, big need to help those patients and uh, try to improve their outcomes. Um, so this is this is what drives me. I mean, if we are able to save some patients, yeah, um, I'm super happy that that we can not only uh, reduce suffering of this person, but also you know of the whole family and the friends of, of these persons mm -hmm. that that are of course also very affected by this bad. Um, disease. Yeah. Um, which which easily accessible resource would you recommend to our listeners so that they can maybe explore a bit further the field in which you work? Um, so first of all, of course, you can follow us on, on LinkedIn or... Yeah, I'll put the links uh, in the description <laughs> for sure. Yeah, or also get our newsletter yeah. where you keep updated on us. And um, I mean, sepsis is, a, is an immunological disease. And there's some, some great resources just to understand more about immunology, which is very interesting. There's, for example, you know, the YouTube channel Kurzgesagt. I don't know if you know it. It's, it's a science, um, uh, channel. They have 10 yeah. minutes videos about everything. So many of the videos are about how the, the world will end <laughs> or what happens <laughs> if you explode thousand nuclear bombs on the moon okay. or stuff like that. But there's also some, um, some videos about immunology and how the immune system works. Okay. And actually one of the founders of this Kurzgesagt, he also uh, released uh, recently a book called Immunology, um, okay. which explains the immune system in a very approachable way. Because yeah, for him, the immune system is, you know, a, a complete universe in itself and it's super interesting. And he found that immunologists didn't really explain it in a nice and and uh, easy way. Easy so way he to tried understand. to really have a, a nice book um, explaining it in a funny and approachable way. 
So it's kurz gesagt, the, uh, the YouTube channel is kurz gesagt and the book is, um, um, what is it? Immunology. Immunology. Immune, sorry. It's immune. <laughs> the book title is Immune. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And kurz gesagt, is it only available in German? No, it's actually in English. Oh, cool. It's in okay, English right. and in German. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll put the links in the description as well. Thanks a lot. Um, and the last question before we close would be, which person would you recommend as a guest to the podcast and why? So I thought about that and, and uh, Leo Grünstein came to my mind. I don't know if you've heard of the startup Spiden, also a Swiss startup. They are actually working on continuous um, blood monitoring. So they are analyzing the blood in a continuous way. I think I heard about it. Is it like a non-invasive way to exactly. measure? Exactly. That's, that's the goal based on spectroscopy to basically analyze the blood um, all the time and generate data and and allow to just collect much more data and understand basically yeah. the immune system and basically all, you know, blood parameters better. And I mean, this is a super interesting topic with yeah. a lot of potential. And also the the story and career of Leo is very interesting because he's uh, a serial entrepreneur. He founded a lot of companies in internet companies, but also fintech companies. Mm -hmm. And now he has this, this med tech company. So it's, yeah, he's a very interesting and, and nice guy. Do you think we, you, you could put us in contact? Yeah. That would be, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, I think we, we come to the end of the, of this episode. Is there anything you wanted to, to add? Before, before we close? No, I think it was a, a great pleasure having you here. Um, and yeah, I'm happy uh, also to keep in touch for the future. Sure. No, I'm really, really happy that, uh, that you accepted. And thank you so much for, for, for having me. I'm, I'm having a look right now at the, at the system. And I think you, you're going to show me a bit around. Um, I'm super impressed. And I wish you all the best to, to you and the team to to everything ahead and I hope uh, it will be a very successful product in the, in the future. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. Don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends or colleagues and subscribe to the podcast. Also, I would be really grateful if you could leave a positive evaluation on Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. Feel free also to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions or suggest potential guests. Thanks and see you in the next one.